I don't know, every song, four chords. That was only 15 more, Nathan. We'll see if you got another 15 in you next week, so I don't know. Hey, it's good to be together, everybody. My name's Ethan, one of the ministers here. So glad to be with you. We're talking about greatest hits, uh, not the four-chord variety, but uh, we're looking back at some of the great preaching through the history of this church. It's our 150th birthday this year, coming up in November, and so we're going back. We actually aren't going back 150 years, uh, but we did last week go back 100 years and six months to January 27th, 1921. Uh, This week we go back about 95 years. I can't track down the month or the day, but I know this sermon uh, was preached in the mid-1920s. So about 95 years uh, for this week's uh, sermon. Hey, listen, before I jump into that, if you are the kind of person that reads the paper, then I know you, like me, were excited to see that four out of seven weeks COVID was on the front page of the paper again. Aren't we through? No, it's awful. Um, But we have started to get some questions uh, because, as you know, the COVID landscape's changing a little bit. So just a little bit of an update. Uh, Right now, we're glad, we feel good about the strategies that we have. I want to remind you, we've got an online strategy that hundreds of people are still participating in. We've got a drive-in strategy that's getting used every week. We have a fully protected, fully masked, fully socially distant venue that's happening right now down in the CLC. Hello to all of you that are down there. And then we've got this venue where masks are optional. And I am glad that we have all of these options because a lot of people are navigating this moment in different ways, and we want to serve as many people as possible. If you were reading the paper, you did notice that the CDC, uh, because of this new variant, is recommending a lot more masking than they were representing two months ago, uh, recommending two months ago because this new variant is more contagious than ones we've already seen. That does apply to Washington County. Uh, you know, the CD is this big national bureaucracy, so I, this week, uh, with a couple of our elders, sat down with some of our doctors and just said, hey, what's going on here? It's worth you knowing. We have, in about a month's time, seen our daily case rate go from about four cases a day to about 20 cases a day, which that's a fast-growing disease. That's a five-fold increase in just a few weeks. So a lot of us, you're going to just notice, a lot of people are just going to start being more careful. We see more masks this week than we did last week. We saw more last week than we did the week before. Hey, that's okay. Wear your mask. Nobody's going to bust your chops around here. Uh, We want everybody to be able to make the choices they want to make for their safety. Um, I've started wearing a mask. Uh, I'm caring for a family member right now who's seriously immunocompromised. Uh, So I'm actually wearing a mask when I'm out of the house. I'm even wearing a mask when I'm in the house. In fact, the only time I take off my mask is right now while I preach. That will explain why the sermons for the next few months are going to be super, super long. Because it's the only time in my entire life I get without a mask. And so I'm just going to preach and preach. So settle in, folks. This is my one break a week from wearing a mask. So just relax, okay? Uh, Overall, we are not anticipating any changes to our church programming strategy. We're going to offer these variety of venues. I suppose if demand for one kind of venue grew, we might offer more of one type of service if that became needed. Uh, But this is, that's our goal. I will say, though, if any group, maybe you're in a group that you were meeting online, and then you started meeting in person, and now you're thinking, hey, we actually would like to meet online again, or we'd like to meet outdoors, we are ready to serve your needs. Reach out to us. We can set you back up online, or we can help you move outside if that's what your group needs. We want everybody to kind of be able to hit the mark they need for, to keep the ministry moving and keep things going. 
you are going to notice that a lot more of our staff will be wearing masks in this week and the week to come. The reason we're doing that as, as a staff is super simple. We want to be able to minister to our whole congregation. And if we're wearing a mask, then we can effectively minister to the people who want to interact with somebody wearing a mask, and we can minister to the people who don't care so much about a mask. So we're going to be wearing masks more often, just out of pastoral love for the whole congregation. Don't make a big deal about it. We're not trying to make a big deal about it either. Just show us some grace as we try to love the whole church. Uh, I got a couple things I would ask of you all as a congregation as we kind of hit this, you know, COVID conversation one more time. Number one, stay gracious, okay? Just stay crazy gracious. Uh, this was an annoying journey the first time through. It's going to be even a more annoying journey the second time through. I get that. So just be kind to people that are making different health choices than you are. There's no reason to get all over people, right? We're just all trying to muddle through life. So let's just do that. Uh, number two, I would say please stay careful. Uh, if, if you're caring for somebody who's immunocompromised, talk to your doctor, figure out what's right for you. If you've got questions about this vaccine, talk to your doctor. The good news is it does seem to be doing a good job at preventing serious illness, even from these new variants. So if you've got questions about that, talk to your doctor. A lot of us have done that. Some of us aren't so sure. So if you figure that out, I will say if you're sick, then don't come to church. You know, just stay home, worship online. We have hundreds of people doing that each week. It's working great. Just be extra cautious and loving to the rest of the church family right now in the middle of this uh, crazy season. And then lastly, I would just say, pray like crazy, right? We already have people in our congregation who, who either they themselves or their dear loved ones are back in the hospital uh, with COVID as we see some of these rates go up in our region. So there's a lot of, of hurt in our congregation. And of course, uh, one of our sister churches had a, had a pretty serious outbreak in their congregation where a lot of people got sick. So let's stay praying for this and be, uh, you know, just be doing what God's people do, right? We'll keep monitoring the situation, uh, but for now, we think the strategies we've got are going to serve a wide variety of people well, and that's our goal uh, to do it. If you have any questions about this, uh, please reach out to me. I would be happy to talk to you about it. I'm sorry, that's a lie. I would not be happy to, I'm willing to talk to you about it. But I, like everyone else, want to do anything but talk about COVID. But no, seriously, if you do have questions, reach out to me. I'll be happy to do my best to talk to you about it. And, um, you know, it's funny. When I saw the headline in the paper, I'm one of the few people that still read the paper. When I saw the headline in the paper, I noticed two things. One, I was more annoyed than last time. I was like, seriously? We got to talk about COVID again. It just felt like it was over. Oh, my goodness. But I also noticed this. I was less worried than I was two years ago. God has gotten this church through 150 years. And he got us through the last 15 months and blessed us the whole way through. And God will do that this time, whether this is a blip in the counts and we're all back to relaxed a week from now or whether it gets serious again. God has got this. So if you're annoyed, I'm with you. I'm annoyed too. But let's not be worried. God has totally got this. So we're just going to keep worshiping in a whole bunch of different venues. Like I say, we've got the, people are still doing drive-in. People are still doing online. People are still in our protected venue. We've got lots of options. Whatever you need for where you are, we're just going to keep worshiping and praising God together. And one day we'll tell the story of this, uh, just like we're today telling the stories of the ministry from the 1920s. Speaking of that, let's jump back to Greatest Hits. We've got next week coming up, Joe Dampier. The week after that, Don Jeans, and this week is our second sermon from Will Sweeney. 
who was the preacher here from 1920 to 1928. This week's sermon is one of, I told you last week, he hardly ever preached sermon series. Well, this was one of the very few sermon series that we found. It's the second sermon of a three-week series. I'll also let you know, I've, I'm being less kind of rigid in trying to mimic his style this week, even by I'm not wearing my gray suit like I did last week. So you'll see the words I say will sound a little bit more like I normally do, but the, the outline and the content, the scriptures and the illustrations are all still from Will Sweeney's sermon. So I hope I'm trying to be, represent him faithfully, even if stylistically it'll sound a little bit more like me. I guess you can put it this way. Any parts of the sermon you like, they're from Sweeney. Anything you don't like, that's probably me. So blame me, not Will Sweeney. I'll also add, and this is something Will Sweeney himself said in a lot of his preaching. He said, remember, this message is God's word for you. You may be tempted to think this is God's word for somebody else and that you're going to pay attention so that you can tell them what they need to learn from God's word. But he would often remind his congregation, even though you're sure somebody else needs this message, God's sure you need this message. If you aren't convinced of that, you can go back and listen to last week's sermon where he talks about a principle very similar to that. Uh, the series that we're in the middle of was inspired by three words. The three words that Paul uses to identify our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul uses lots of words to address Jesus, but in his formal speech, it's always these three. The last verse of the book of Acts, Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Uh, the beginning of the book of Romans, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The beginning of the book of Ephesians, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. And we can find dozens of verses like this. When Paul wants to formally address Jesus, he uses these three words, Lord, Jesus, Christ. And that was Sweeney's series. N not in that order. He preached it, number one, Jesus. Number two, Lord. That's the sermon we're in the middle of right now. And number three, Christ. Because these words are not just names. They mean something, and they are specific claims about who Jesus is and how we relate to him. Jesus means God saves, and it reminds us that Jesus is the, the saving work of God made flesh and made relevant to our lives. Lord reminds us that God rules and now rules through the person of Jesus Christ, and Christ reminds us that Jesus is the promised and anointed one of God, the one that God sent on God's behalf to set all things right. These names not only tell us who Jesus is and what he did and how we relate to Jesus, they also demonstrate that in the person of Jesus Christ, all the leadership and authority of God is found in one person. You see, in the Old Testament, God ordained three roles to lead God's people. The first was the role of the prophet, called by God to speak on God's behalf, who calls people to righteousness and anticipates God's future action on behalf of God's people. 
The second leadership role God ordained was the priest. The priest was the one who oversaw the temple. The priest was responsible for the offering, the sacrifices and offerings that maintained the relationship between God and God's people. And the third role God ordained was the king. Now, this was the last one God approved, and God only did it grudgingly because God said, I'm supposed to be your king. But God did ultimately ordain and call kings to rule God's people. Prophet, priest, and king. The three offices of leadership in the Old Testament for God's people. And Jesus is all three. The name Christ reminds us that Jesus was foretold by the prophets. They predicted the Messiah. But Jesus also fulfills the work of the prophets and is now God's only prophet. The the name Jesus, God saves, reminds us that Jesus is our priest, our high priest, who not only is the sacrifice, he also offers the sacrifice that our relationship with God can be restored and maintained. And the name Lord reminds us that Jesus is now the true king. As God intended, we have no earthly king. We have one king, that is Jesus. Here's a little chart to kind of help you see how these things relate. The name Christ fulfills the role and message of the prophets, which means he speaks and we listen. The name Jesus fulfills the role and foreshadowing of the priests, which means he saves and we put our hope in him. The name Lord fulfills the role and obligations of the king, which means that he rules and we obey. Now, we could say a great deal more about all three of these names. And in this series, Sweeney did. Like I said, this is Sermon 2. We're about a third of the way through. In Sermon 1, he talked about Jesus. In Sermon 3, he talked about Christ. But in the middle, he talked about lordship. He gave the sermon this title, The All-Powerful and Enduring Motive of Christian Service. To understand this, the first thing we have to notice is that the name Lord isn't just a name. It's actually a claim. It's a biblical claim about something that is true about Jesus. Here's the way Jesus himself put it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that is, who uses the name Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Notice why they were amazed. They were not amazed at the content of his teaching. Most of what Jesus taught was very similar to what the prophets taught throughout the Old Testament. What amazed them is he taught like he had the authority. 
and not like their teachers taught. Paul repeats this same claim many times in his writing, but perhaps not as beautiful as in the Christ hymn of the book of Philippians. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says, model yourselves after Christ's humility. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. The Lordship of Christ is not a name. It's a claim of Scripture about his role in the world and his proper role in our lives. Here's the second thing we got to notice. The second thing we got to notice is that Jesus' lordship is only a good thing because Jesus is good, right? If Jesus wasn't the promised Savior, the one who loves us and died for us and seeks only our good, well, then his lordship would be a terror. Because there are evil lords in this world, and we know what happens when they get in charge, when they get power and start ordering people around. The world gets worse, and our lives get worse. But we can trust Jesus' lordship precisely because he is the Christ the promised one that God would send who would set all things right. And he is Jesus. God saves the one who loves us and died for us and rose again so that we might live. Here's how Jesus put it. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Cast off the yokes of all those other lords that seek to oppress you and destroy you and use you up. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We follow Jesus' lordship because he is the Lord of love and not the Lord of tyranny. So now thirdly, we can ask the question that most interested Sweeney on that day about 95 years ago, somewhere in the middle of the 1920s. What motive is sufficient to sustain the life of a Christian? Here's what he observes. The spiritual interest of people waxes and wanes to a marked degree. Is there a permanent motive of unfailing strength? People ally themselves with the church for a great variety of motives. I mean, this is not said in a spirit of criticism, for the Bible itself offers a number of motives to people that might lead them to better lives. A man on a journey will walk, sometimes by foot, sometimes by horse, sometimes by wagon, and sometimes by steam. He'll use the best way he's got until he finds a better. So it is with motives. Some of the motives that might entice a person to follow Christ are respectability in their community or public sentiment 
or their future welfare, or a, a vague sense of duty to their family, perhaps congregational pride, or they recognize the value of being associated with this congregation or that congregation. And all of these produce some good results. But as motives for service, they are all more or less temporary and ineffective. For whenever the cause of Christianity has been established on a firm and immovable basis, wherever the work of the master has been prosecuted with unflagging zeal and energy, wherever a permanent and lasting impression has been made upon the lives and hearts of a community, wherever the best and noblest in men and women has been developed and their energies, courage, patience, fortitude, and self-denial has been enlisted, we find that the motive... The singular motive that has inspired such things has been a wholehearted, unquestioning, unswerving, personal devotion to Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord over all. And as such, the ruler to whom we all owe our undivided allegiance and our undivided fidelity. Not only a willingness to serve, but an eagerness to do so. Not because we by some chance approve of that which our Lord commands, but simply because he commands it. Not only when it is convenient or agreeable or when the world looks on and approves, but when it means self-denial, when the world sneers and scorns and persecutes. What is that to thee, Christ asks? Follow thou me. Not only when we understand, but whether we understand or not. There is no loyalty to Christ, save that loyalty which obeys his commands because he has commanded. Lord Tennyson captured this sentiment well in his tragic poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade. Cannons to the right of them, cannons to the left of them, cannons in front of them, volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell, boldly they rode and well into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell, rode the 600. And if, if such a service can be rendered to earthly kings, who have done almost nothing for us and to whom we owe so little, what should not our loyalty be to the one who is the king of kings, to whom we owe all that we have and all that we hope to be and who has done everything for us? Stephen, the first Christian martyr, as he died for his faith, looked into the heavens and saw a persuasive dogma? A statement of principles? No. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of power. Paul, who met the Lord on the way to Damascus and endured all sorts of persecutions, explained to Philip and the leaders of the church in Caesarea, I am ready not only to be bound, but to die in Jerusalem. For what? For some form of doctrine? For some theological belief? No. For the name of the Lord Jesus. Early Christians never saw a Bible. 
Most of them knew less about Jesus than you do. And yet they knew enough to say, Christos, Kurios. While their neighbors shouted, Kaisar, Kurios, Caesar is Lord, the Christian proclaimed, Christos, Kurios, Christ is Lord. This word Lord, which the Romans reserved for their emperor and the Jews reserved for God, the Christian gave to Jesus. The early bishop Polycarp, about a hundred years after Jesus' day, lived a long life in service to Jesus. And when he was in his 80s, a new governor came to the region, determined to stamp out Christianity. And he required all those in the land to call Caesar Lord and offer a sacrifice to him. Polycarp refused and was taken to the governor. As he was on his way, some friends came to Polycarp and they urged him. They said, what harm is there in just saying Caesar is Lord and making a small sacrifice so that you can ensure your safety? When Polycarp met with the governor, the governor did not want to condemn Polycarp, for Polycarp was beloved in the city. So he made a small concession. He said, Polycarp, just swear by the name of Caesar. That's all you need to do. To this, Polycarp replied in perhaps his most famous sentence, for 80 and six years I have been my Lord's servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme against my king who saved me? After a short conversation with a few more attempts to convince Polycarp to just make a small compromise and thus save his life, he was burned alive and then stabbed to death with daggers. And the evils of today demand just as much strength and loyalty as they did in the days gone by. And the church of today will not come into her own until the recognition of the lordship of Christ shall fire our hearts with a passionate zeal to render unto him our only loyalty, to render unto him our first devotion, which he has purchased at a pretty good price, his own blood. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, Jesus asks. Why do you use that name, he says, if you don't do the things that I say? And we today have no right to call him Lord until we have heeded his call. Come, follow me. When King Edward asked his barons, by what right do you hold your land? They answered with one strong voice, by the right of our swords, and by the right of our swords we will defend them. And we could ask today, by what right, my brother and sister, do you wear the name Christian? Certainly not by right of birth, not by right of membership in some human organization, by what right do you wear the name Christian unless you can say, by the right of my service and submission to the Lord Christ and by my service, I will defend the name. For we serve together a common Lord and of one master we are servants. 
and our master alone stands as our Lord. So, so the, the next thing we have to know is that there is, there is among the master's servants, there is no judgment for one another. Paul writes to the Roman church, who are you to judge someone else's servants? To their own master's servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them sand. So do not judge someone else's service. Attend to your own, for he is Jesus, the good, good Savior. He is the Christ, the promised anointed one who will set all things right, and he is Lord. Would that we might, like Stephen say, I see the Lord standing at the right hand of power. Would that we might, like Thomas, say, my Lord and my God. Would that we might, with Paul, say, I am ready not only to be bound, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of my Lord Jesus Christ. Is Jesus today your advisor, offering counsel that you consider and measure by your own lordship? Sometimes to agree with him and sometimes to reject his advice? Is Jesus your advisor or is Jesus your king? The one you obey. And if you say he's your king, by what motive do you serve Christ today? To appease your family? To impress your neighbors? To secure your heavenly Reward? For these motives might work for a season. But there is only one motive that lasts. A wholehearted, personal devotion to Christ as our leader and our sovereign is the only motive that is ever powerful and all-enduring. So long as we attempt to substitute other motives... Our service will ebb and flow, wax and wane. We will be like the waves of the sea, driven and tossed about by every wind of doctrine. But once we have enthroned Christ in our hearts, the waves may lash, the winds may blow, and the rains may beat down upon us, but we shall never fall, for our house is built upon a rock. But so long... As we take the crown which is his and place it upon our own heads or place it upon public opinion, worldly goods, and the pride and pleasure of life, we must content ourselves with the sad spectacle of the banner of Christ trailing in the dust of the world. But once we take to our hearts this firm resolve to lay our trophies at the feet that wound their weary way up Calvary's hill, to lay our treasures at the feet that were pierced by nails for our transgressions. When we place the royal diadem of our lives onto that head which once bore a crown of thorns, then we shall go on conquering and to conquer in his name that is above every name until at that name every knee bows and every tongue confesses things in heaven and on earth and under the earth confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
to the glory of God. Let's pray. God, we are brought short for we have too often treated you as an advisor while we were the Lord of our lives. We are brought short for we have often obeyed out of motives that are fickle and fleeting and will not last. And now we are just reminded that you are not just named Lord, but you claim to be the Lord. And this is the claim that rests upon our lives. And so I just, I just pray right now for some people that just need to, need to have an awareness that they have taken back for their own life lordship that properly belongs to you. And I pray that now, somebody, even now, somebody might just say, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. And I obey you because it is your right, not because I agree with you or decided that I'm okay with this one. God, we want to build lives on that rock for every other way to build a life is fickle and fleeting and wavers and wanes. And so I just pray right now for, for, for all of us to kind of recommit to that principle. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, 95-year-old sermon. I don't imagine it could be any more relevant today than it was 95 years ago. As I said last week, uh, I'm only going to preach two sermons by Will Sweeney, or I know you'll get so used to his preaching, he'll never let me write my own sermon ever again. So uh, next week, Joe Dampier, he's a pretty good preacher too. You'll look forward to it. But right now, I would just urge you to kind of wrestle with that, the, the claim of the gospel, the claim of Jesus, and the claim of that sermon. Some of you got a next step you need to take. You know, some of you need to uh, stop by the connection kiosk and say, hey, that lordship thing, how does I get started with that? Maybe you want to meet with me after the service. You know, one of the ways we express the lordship of Christ, that's actually kind of how we think about church membership here, right? Um, so we are membered together because we are all members with Christ. We're, we're fellow servants together with Christ. Um, we had our, our, our class, First Things First, last week. If you want to know how to get connected to Jesus and get connected to this church, the best thing to do is sign up for First Things First. Had a ton of people in First Things First, and a bunch of them are here today, this service, and next to join. I think we have two people this service are here to join. Come on up here. All right, come on up. We're going to meet these people. The Burks, and I've lost first names, so help me out with first names here. Priscilla? Chris and Priscilla. All right, come on up here with me. We're going to do this on the stage today. That way they can see on the camera and all the folks at home can meet you too. Uh, this is Chris and Priscilla Burke. Um, they've been hanging out with us for a while. We're so glad you're here. Uh, we're going to do the distancing thing, so do the wide camera thing. Thank you for that. Um, our membership together, as you know, is not because we're so special, but for Jesus is. And we are membered together because of our shared confession and faith in him. And so in a minute, I'm going to repeat that confession and ask you to repeat after me. But because you're not just joining us, we're joining you, I would ask anyone who also shares this confession of faith to repeat along at the same time. If you could repeat after me, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is my Lord, and He is my Savior. Amen. It is so good to welcome the Burks. Thank you. You all go sit down. If you get a chance after the service, go up and say hi to the Burks. And if you today, 
need, uh, maybe you're ready to say, hey, I'm also all in with Jesus, and I want to follow Jesus with the rest of y'all people. So great. Uh, we'd love for you to join us. If you've got questions about that, you can talk to me, talk to one of our, our staff, or join us for the next First Things First class. If you've got questions personally about how you would take a next step of faith, see, that's the thing. Remember what, remember what Jesus says? He says, follow me. And then he starts moving. He says, follow me, and then he starts moving, which means every single person their whole life long has a next step with Jesus. Nobody ever is done taking steps uh, to follow Jesus. So maybe you've got some today. If you came prepared to give today, uh, if you're online, we've got ways that make that easy. Look for buttons around you. You'll find them. Uh, if you're here in the room, uh, there are boxes on your way out, and you can give there as you leave. Um, so grateful that you're here today. Love you all so much. I'm going to pray for you and just send you out with a blessing, and we'll just go with the words of Will Sweeney ringing in our ears. Let's pray today. God, I thank you for servants like Will Sweeney who just open up your word and just remind us of what it plainly says. That we aren't just to name you, Lord, but we're to claim you as Lord and obey you with our lives. And I'm just praying in some small measure we would walk out of here ready to do that. I know I need that in my life, that every one of us would just a little more say, today, Jesus, you're the king of my life. And I'm going to do it tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And just trust. That's a firm foundation for life. And there is no other. We thank you for Christ, for his salvation, for his promises, and for his lordship over all things now and eternally. We pray in his name. Amen. Church, have a great week. We love you and bless you. If you've got questions, I'll be up front.